Sorry, I don't love you. A friend I've grown accustomed to. Cause with you, something isn't wrong. Something isn't wrong. Something isn't right. I wish you could be happy. Welcome to Geekdom is back. This will be our last episode of the year. We only took a one week break for this, really, because I was lazy and didn't want to record this past week. <laughs> but I I have Bobby Darling back now to talk all about Rogue One. Hey, hey, hey. Your Clone Wars episode is currently holding the top spot for most downloaded episodes so far until this one come on yeah yeah you you have the lead by like three downloads right now just yeah. three yes yes <laughs> so it's it's a close race there and we will see how this one does but what's the obviously second, what's the second most downloaded episode it's the episode i did with brett booth who is the penciler on the titans comic oh nice yeah that was a fun one and it was like we did it over the phone, so I was a little hesitant about it because I've never done a podcast over the phone. So, yeah, <laughs> but it worked out well. Clearly, people That's liked it. Very cool. Yeah. So obviously, you guys, spoiler alert: we are going to talk all about the movie. We are probably also going to talk about how you and I both misunderstood a very important line to the canon timeline. <laughs> so. But first, why don't we start off with their casting decisions? Because obviously, there were a lot of people in this movie who some people had heard of before, some hadn't. There were some recastings, there was some CGI, so they didn't have to recast. But there was just so much in here. But I think we might as well start with F Felicity Jones as Jin Erso. I think she was a really good pick because, you know... When we had Rey in The Force Awakens, it was like, okay, you know, like, she seems like a very nice girl, but she didn't seem to have that sort of grit that comes with a Star Wars movie. And while I still think The Force Awakens was great, I think Felicity Jones really kind of captured that grit in her performance of being in the Rebellion. Yeah, I, I agree. I just, I loved her. I thought she was great. I thought she imbued the character with a, you know there's definitely some um she's banged up a little bit you know there's bringing some damage from you know losing her her folks at such a young age and uh being raised by fucking saw guerrera <laughs> right, so, right so she's she's definitely you know she's she's tough she's battle hardened and you know which is it's a little bit strange because you're you know saying that yeah she she has the, the grit that like you know ray didn't necessarily have and it seems like ray should i mean ray was like growing up in this like disgusting jacku like like right. just like fucking salvaging for a living and stuff and and she still seemed fairly happy-go-lucky like pretty well adjusted yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> I, I was this but I, I guess that kind of speaks to just the tonal difference in rogue one versus uh the force awakens you know where this this movie just had like that kind of gritty layer to it and it, it just felt a little bit more lived in a little bit more you know world weary and i think that that really came across with uh felicity jones's performance right and then we have diego luna who he seems to really be the sort of bigger name of the main set of the cast just because people know him from various different things and felicity jones is more of a relatively new actress i know she's in like inferno or something like that now too so i feel like this is going to sort of be her big start but diego luna he's been doing stuff for a while now and i know a lot of people had more mixed feelings about his character not necessarily him being cast as cassian but a lot of people were like we just didn't get enough out of these characters but what do you think of him as the captain it's it's really jarring because if you see like interviews with him he's fucking hilarious and he's like the nicest guy on the planet and he played completely against type you know playing this kind of 
morally compromised, uh, you know, rebel soldier, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, the impression I got was that he, he was kind of, you know, like, um, uh, what's, what's the word like black ops for the rebellion. Like he was, a, he, right. he was, he was an assassin. He did a lot of dirty work. He didn't hesitate to kill that guy when he realized that guy wasn't going to be able to escape his, his, you know, source of information. Um, when he realized the guy wasn't gonna be able to escape, uh, he just killed him because he couldn't risk, uh, the Empire finding out that they were aware of right. you know, of the Death Star, and um, and he didn't even hesitate. And uh, I, you know, it was, and that's I mean, that was the beginning of the movie. It, it really set like a tone for wow, this is not a Star Wars that we've seen before. Yeah, and I think you know, despite the series being called Star Wars, this definitely felt like the most warlike movie, I guess you can say, and. Obviously, going into this movie, anyone who's paid attention to Star Wars at all knows that this is supposed to happen right before the very first Star Wars movie. So there are a lot of things that they sort of had to work around, such as, you know, Cushing being dead for, you know, almost 20 years or 22 years, whatever it has been. It's been quite some time now. And they worked that by using a stand-in actor and then sort of use CGI to put his face on that actor. And a lot of people obviously immediately noticed it, especially the huge Star Wars fans. Yeah. Personally, it took a little while for it to sink in for me, but I was like, his cheeks look very sunken in. Like something (laughs) just looks a little off here. And then, you know, going online after the movie and reading reviews and everything, I was like, that makes sense. But when I was, at the theater, I wasn't actively thinking like, oh, this is CGI. Oh, this is CGI. I was kind of just like, all right, I'm here. I'm going to watch the movie. Yeah. I'll pick it apart later <laughs> sort yeah, of thing. Sure. And I mean, obviously, you know, the ships are CGI and all, all this stuff in space. But character wise, we had Tarkin as CGI. And then obviously, Princess Leia at the very end is CGI. And I think that one bothered people a lot less just because it was so brief and it was the end of the movie. Sure. But do you think that it was a mistake to sort of do both of them as CGI or have Tarkin in it as much as he was? Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of my few gripes with the, the film and, and I, I think just with, you know, Star Wars uh, films in general, I, I just prefer stuff done practically versus done with CG. So like, I I really, you know, I love that they built fucking Jabba and put like, you know, a dozen puppeteers inside of him to make him work when they filmed uh Jedi and then, right. you know, when he appears in, in the um enhanced version enhanced versions of the films um <laughs> and he's a CG, you know, creation, it just looks stupid. Like <laughs> I can't I just can't I it just completely takes me out of the film. So you know, I was really happy when J.J. Abrams used so much practical effects and so many puppets and, and makeup right. uh, for The Force Awakens. And they seem to carry that, you know, into this film, you know, to a certain degree. But then, you know, I, Tarkin was the first thing where I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and and then there was a handful of things after that. You know, I, I thought that the CG they used for K2SO was incredible. Like, right. I didn't even realize I was looking at a CG character, you know, or... or you know, a motion capture character. Um, it, you know, it's it's amazing to see how far that kind of technology has come from the days when it was Jar Jar. <laughs> um, right. Where K2SO was not, he didn't distract me from the film or take me out of my, you know, experience at all. But Tarkin certainly did, and Leia did a little bit as well. And you know what it reminds me of is that, uh, did you ever see that the Tron reboot a few years back? I did not. They they used CGI to make a young version of Jeff Daniels, uh, okay, the dude, and it just looked horrible. Like it was like, oh gosh, this is like Tom Hanks in the Polar Express. This is creepy, and <laughs> and that's what Tarkin reminded me of. It just wasn't quite there yet. It's not it's not photo real, and I just you know they they re- like you said we were talking about recasting earlier. Uh, they recast Mon Mothma. Um, with with a younger actress who appeared in right. Revenge of the Sith originally, um, but she's great, spot on. She looks she looks awesome. 
and nobody's like, oh, I really, I was having a great time until I noticed it was a different actress playing Mon Mothma. It's like, that's not a, a gripe at all. So right. I, would, I think that they should use that as a good rule of thumb going forward is just recast the younger, the actors with younger, uh, you know, versions of them. Like, like what they're doing with, uh, Lando and Han, like they're right. not going to, they're not going to CG, uh, Harrison Ford's face on, uh, Alden Ehrenreich like they're gonna they're gonna let it eat and let us let him inhabit the character and that's gonna be the next generation's idea of who Han Solo is just like they always recast James Bond like they're not photoshopping or I mean CGing uh, uh Sean Connery's face on Daniel right. Craig's body so I, I yeah I thought it was a misstep and it was just a I don't know but that being said that's a a very small gripe because I really enjoyed the film yeah, and I feel like with Leia, they probably didn't even really need to have someone stand in. They probably could have just built her based off of footage from yeah. the movies. And so that one didn't bother me as much, like I said, because it was so brief. But yeah. then when I was sitting here thinking about the movie, I was like, what did Tarkin even really do other than give a few orders and say he was going to take over the stuff? I don't think they necessarily needed him to have FaceTime as much as they did. Like, they could have shown the back of him yes, half with, the time. With his reflection in, in the, right. the the window, like, that, I thought that was very effective. Like, I was like, hey, it's Tarkin, yeah. that's cool. And then when they went to full-on CG shots of him, I, I was just, I was pretty, I was just surprised, too, because they have such a great brain trust over there. They don't, you know, it seems like with the new films, like, they're not making as many silly missteps like that, because it would have been very practical and made a lot more sense if they wanted to, you know, show full facial shots of Tarkin to have him communicating via um, uh, hologram, you know, like right. that's cause that's how, that's how, you know, we see a lot of characters. That's how we first see the emperor in empire strikes back. Um, yeah. That's our first exposure to the emperor at all. And it's cool. It's like, it's like you kind of get this like hazy, you know, and it, and it, it also allows for a little bit of forgiveness when it comes to the CG of the character. And that would have been right. a really great way to implement him. He didn't need to physically be there. I, I, it did, it made no sense, <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, you know, a couple of things within the whole scheme of scheme of a movie. That's not that bad because for me, I instantly found it enjoyable. And to me, those two things didn't matter enough for me to no longer enjoy the movie. I agree. And like you said, K2SO, he wasn't distracting, but he was definitely a highlight in the movie. And he is voiced by Alan Tudyk. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it was just fantastic all around how that was done and i believe they had him on stilts and everything to like you said do the motion capture and everything and like you mentioned with the first trilogy they had a lot of people going around in costumes yes just to be you know some of the smaller creatures in the universe and everything and i like you said with the force awakens they went back to that a lot and i think things like that are the reason why the first trilogy probably stands up as well as it does for a lot of people. Sure. Because you can just feel the sense of everyone involved in this is just so excited about the universe that, you know, they're going all out on the casting and getting people to be in these disgustingly hot costumes in the desert, for desert scenes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here, you know, obviously we have more of a Bahamas vibe where the war happens <laughs> and, you know, not as much desert as we've had before, but I think they did a great job with the casting of the main characters. And then we see Jimmy Smith's come back as Bail Organa. Yeah. And that is an instance where you and I both misinterpreted a line and we got very excited thinking Ahsoka was mentioned, but you know, <laughs> Basically, he said that he was going to go look for a Jedi who had been in hiding, and we for we both totally missed the he and him part of that sentence in the conversation, because then Mon Mothma is like, do you trust her? And he said, with my life. So I was, I think just the way it was phrased in general, it was a little misleading, but then you sit there and you think about it and you're like, yeah, it makes much more sense that they're looking for Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, I think it it was kind of more wishful thinking on my part. Right. I, I heard the feminine gender mentioned, and I was like, 
Whoa, 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 did he just say a female Jedi who's been in hiding? What? <laughs> I was so right. excited. I was so excited for like, I was like, is there going to be a lightsaber fight between Darth Vader and Ahsoka at the end of this movie? Like I was freaking, <laughs> I was freaking out and then I was like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And because we've seen Ahsoka in the different properties, she has her own solo book. Yep. And I've been, you know, keeping up with as much of the media as I possibly can, which is a lot. So we see her in Clone Wars, so it's sort of a reasonable thought, and clearly she leaves and then goes in hiding, which is basically what her entire book is about. It's sort of like her life in hiding and how she's trying to keep being a Padawan or a Jedi a secret. And I guess she never did really earn the title of Jedi, but when she returns in Star Wars Rebels, it's very clear that she's no longer anyone's Padawan, mainly because there's only like two Jedi left, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, yeah, there's, there's her, uh, Kanan and, um, Ezra now is Kanan's Padawan. Uh, and then Obi-Wan. So there's really only a handful of them left. Oh, and Yoda, Yoda. So, right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so to see the, how these things all tie together, because, Right now, I'm reading the Catalyst book by James Luceno, which Me too. is all about yeah, it's all about these Rogue One characters. And I was really hoping to get to it before I went and saw the movie because I heard it really sort of gives you a lot more background on a lot of these characters. So I know a lot of people are feeling like these characters weren't sort of complete enough for them. And while I can kind of see where they're coming from, I feel like for the purpose of this movie it might not have been as necessary because we knew the end game for this movie before it even started so it's like you already know how this is going to end so why go through the trouble of doing all of this backstory on all of these people who we know are going to die at the end well that's that's exactly my biggest gripe with the pre- well there's a lot of gripes with but with the prequel <laughs> with the prequels is like yeah you you know how these stories end you don't you know where it comes to so y- you would assume going in that well they must have had something they wanted to say using this particular story as a vehicle and they didn't there wasn't there wasn't any kind of like you know underlying message or theme that was being communicated by the prequels or like anything of value really communicated and I also didn't even you know become attached to the characters you know over the course of the the films and so it was like well what was the point of this whole experience and with rogue one you know it's it's a different kind of thing because it is saying something i think the movie like has a very strong message and you know i like i i walked out i i i hear what you're saying what a lot of people are saying where they felt like there was just there were so many characters that it you know, you didn't really get to spend enough face time with each one of them to, you know, and have enough of those character moments to really get to know them as much as you you would have liked. And I, I totally get that. But I think that, you know, to me, uh, you know, by the, we're talking spoilers here, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but by the end of the film, you know, when everything has gone down and, you know, it's all kind of coming to a close, you're just like, geez, like all this stuff happened and it was all just to get this little you know plan of the star of the death star you know to the alliance you know yeah in order for someone who the alliance hasn't even discovered yet to blow up the death star (laughs) at some point and and, right and like these these people aren't people that are you know jedi and fighting with lightsabers and all the stuff that we're accustomed to with star wars but i felt like there was so much value to the fact that they lived and they fought and they sacrificed and and that it all mattered, you know, it all matters. Right. And, and I, I loved that. That's what the movie was saying. And yeah, I would have, I mean, I would, if the movie was twice as long and we could have spent more time with the characters, I would have loved it <laughs> even more. <laughs> right. And you know, they obviously can't, well, they could, if they really wanted to make a four hour movie, but <laughs> I feel like that would also lose a lot of people at the same time. So it's like for the character to, development they were sort of in almost a lose-lose situation because obviously they focused a lot more on Jin and her story that they couldn't go back and fill in all of these other characters that they meet along the way because when we start the movie it's just about her and her family and then you know someone comes to break her out of jail and we're clueless as to who these people really are and what their goal is 
initially. Yeah. And so is she. So I think, you know, it's it's a hard thing to kind of find that right balance of how much do we give of this character and this character and all of these characters when you have so many of them. And I know I've read somewhere that there are little bits and pieces that relate to Star Wars Rebels in this and some other stuff. Did you happen to, other than Saw Gerrera, did you happen to catch any of the other things? I didn't when the move I went to see the movie, but people had stills up later and the the droid chopper from Star Wars Rebels is like motoring along in one of the pictures on the base yeah, choppers there and i guess i, I think the ghost uh, is there yeah yeah so the, the ghost is in in one of the shots also so it yeah it, it obviously exists in the same continuity like i do yeah, that stuff's really cool but no i you know i haven't i haven't gone through um you know the those easter egg articles because i'd love to see all that stuff pointed out but yeah uh, i want to see it again and kind of you know watch for that stuff more carefully because i was just like I was just so wrapped up and I just had the biggest grin on my face like within the first couple <laughs> minutes of just like holy shit like cuz this was hardcore Star Wars like this wasn't like right. it's it, the story that they told the fact that they you know had a a female protagonist and a, a ethnically diverse cast the the message of the story uh was so subversive and it was you know, I, and 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 it was just hard for hardcore Star Wars. Like, I mean, there it was just unapologetically Star Wars. Like, there there's you know, massive statues of Jedi buried in the desert, and they're talking about kyber crystals. And like, I, it right. was just it was so hardcore that it was like I just man, they just really went for it. Like, there wasn't any kind of like, well, we need to make this as accessible as possible. We need to simplify <laughs> this. We need to have a happy ending. We need like none of that shit that goes into you know the, the blockbuster machines like this was like a very kind of subversive underground type of movie as much as can be said of a movie that's you know the biggest movie of the year <laughs> right and i think the big difference between this and the force awakens is for a lot of young kids and newer star wars fans the force awakens i don't want to call it a reboot but it's sort of like a new beginning yeah for the series because while you know you have Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill show up in that movie it's like they weren't totally necessary to the story of the main three of you know Ray and Finn and Poe so sure it's like they're st starting a whole new generation of fans who have their own set of movies now because you know obviously with the first trilogy that's really where everything started but then the second trilogy was probably geared towards younger fans of star wars and like hey here's your own set of movies which didn't pan out so well but <laughs> that's a different topic for a different day and you know with rogue one we're getting something that is not a reboot it's like here is an extra piece of the story and it has meat on it because yeah. it makes such an impact towards a new hope it's it's really crazy to think that like they didn't include jedi in this film at all like right what a risk you know it's like they they really just made a story set in the star wars universe about characters and you know what what they lived and how they died and what they cared about and what their values were and how they valued each other. And like, that's all it was about it. it yeah. there, there weren't like, you know, Jedi doing flips and, you know, chopping stuff up with lightsabers and stuff. <laughs> it was like, it was just a straight up like dry movie about characters and like, what a bold choice. I mean, it just blows my mind that they did that. Because if you think if you're like the Walt Disney Company and L the Lucasfilm Brain Trust comes in and like, okay, here's our movie. They're like, no, 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 no. We need, we need you know, <laughs> we need some start. We need like lightsaber fights. We got to sell some action figures, you know, and but they, they did it. I I mean, I, they, they really swung for the fences. I loved, I loved it. So cool. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, sure, they are still going to you know sell plenty of tickets for this but like you mentioned with the toys and everything it's like i went on amazon to go look for the k2so funko pop 
Yeah. And now it's like not even available through Amazon right now. It's just <laughs> available through all these third party sellers. And I'm like, well, I pay for Amazon Prime, so I'm not going to pay for shipping. So it's like I'm just very impatiently waiting for it to come <laughs> back in stock on Amazon. But they've been doing a huge sale on Star Wars stuff lately. So there are a ton of Funkos that are like five bucks nice. on Amazon and quite a few from this movie, too. Like they had Krennic and Cassie and Andor. So Krennic is actually someone who we skipped earlier in the casting choice, and that was Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, and I I know him from watching the first season of Bloodline. That's sort uh, of all I know him from. Because yeah. it threw me off though with his shorter hair in this. Because have you seen Bloodline or no? Uh, oh, I'm Bloodline's like my favorite show. <laughs> nice. And it's like there he's like this scraggly, useless guy who doesn't know how to do anything right. And then I saw him in here and I was like, he sounds familiar. His face looks familiar and i was like oh that's what he's from and that's when i knew i was like oh i'm not gonna like him in this <laughs> he dude ben mendelson is just an incredible actor like his performance yeah. in bloodline is probably to me the greatest performance on any television show in the history of of the the format it's i mean he's he's just i mean i think he won a golden globe for it i mean he's he's just incredible and um when I saw that he was cast as Krennic, well, I, we didn't know his name was Krennic at first when they announced the casting. I right. thought for a second, oh shit, is he going to be Thrawn? Is that what's going on right now? And um, yeah, but close, but, but no cigar. <laughs> but when I saw he was cast, I was really excited, and I felt yeah, the, the guy just creates gravitas on film. I mean, any scene he's in, you're just the stakes are higher. You know, there's he he just imbues the character with so much uh, realism and. I don't know. I, just, I I thought he was great. I th the the one thing was like just in the you know the chunk of uh, catalyst that I've read so far. Um, you know, it's like there's just so much more to Krennic than what we got to spend time with on film, and I think that's the case right. with, with a lot of the characters. You know, and I just I wish that I wish that we could have. I really like my villains to be humanized and not to just be, you know, mustache twirling, like, ha, 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 I just killed your wife. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, although his performance was outstanding, I think that the script kind of left him with a couple of moments like that that were a little frustrating to me. Like when, yeah, when he when he orders uh, Galen Erso's wife to be murdered, uh, and then when he orders Galen Erso's co-scientists uh, working on the Death Star to be uh to be murdered and right. and it both times was just like out of like a sense of sadism like ha, 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 i just killed people that you love and <laughs> and and that just kind of irked me it's like you know like i ain't no fool and i don't need you know a movie to like trick me into not liking a certain character by making them do despicable things you know like i i already you know there's there's enough going on with you know ben mendelson's performance uh and with just what he's about that you know we already he's the bad guy he's the villain we get it we understand what his motivations are and and i you know i didn't necessarily need to see him you know sadistically murder people in order for me to be happy when he died <laughs> right right i hope that makes sense <laughs> Yeah, and obviously Vader appears in this movie a couple of times as well, and some people were very split on this from what I saw online. A lot of people really love that end scene where he's just tossing everyone around the ship and cutting them into yes. pieces and going through everything, but then some people didn't like it when he was force-choking Krennic. Yes. And, I mean... I was fine with that simply because it was sort of clear that Krennic had no idea what he was getting into by going there. Yep. And I think, you know, it's definitely interesting when you put someone like James Earl Jones into, you know, the Vader costume again. Not that he was physically there. He was just voicing it. But because he's so much older now and Vader's supposed to be younger. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I think, I don't think I really noticed it too much simply because Vader didn't do all that much talking. It was mostly just in that scene with Krennic. And to me, that wasn't a big deal, but it's sort of like, okay, Rogue One was 
a really fun movie to watch, but when are they sort of going to move on from this original cast? Because they're still trying to hold on to these bits and pieces. And I think sometimes that's what's holding them back a little. And that's the main criticism I've seen of this movie. Yeah, I mean, the, I think that the movie would have functioned completely effectively without Darth Vader being included. Like, that That being said, it was just, right. it was just eye candy popcorn for me. Like, it was just fun to see him on screen and see him, you know, viciously killing people. Like, like that was cool. And it to me, it was like, it was almost like cathartic after seeing what a puss he was in the, uh, <laughs> in the prequel trilogy. Like, I just, we've talked about this, but I, you know, I, I thought that, you know, Anakin's, uh, portrayal over the course of the Clone Wars series was amazing and such a redemptive thing after the prequel trilogy and um, and so this was like a, you know a, just a great extension of that where it was just further redemption of the Darth Vader character after right. you know George Lucas kind of took a dump on him in the prequels <laughs> yeah I just think you know they didn't necessarily need to use James Earl Jones because as we've seen in Hollywood plenty of people can easily mimic other people's voices get, get matt lanter to do it you know it's like i that's the you know the guy from timeless the the voice actor, right, right? Yeah, yeah 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 so like i i thought about that when they were kind of showing him in the the uh bakta tank um that that you know i was like oh my gosh what if it's like matt lanter like it all in that you know all looking all messed up like underneath the suit like that'd be so cool because yeah. to me he's anakin skywalker like hayden right. christensen did isn't anakin skywalker he's just a dude that played him like like the, <laughs> the, the voice of anakin in clone wars is anakin to me you know the the yeah. guy who, the guy who called ahsoka snips but then ended up you know murdering children <laughs> <laughs> right and it's funny that you bring up hayden christensen because I caught maybe 20 or so minutes of Attack of the Clones, which is bottom of the barrel for most Star Wars people. It's bad. And I I caught it and it was Anakin was taking Padme over to Naboo to protect her basically to romance her <laughs> right and that's what happens and i see them like rolling around in the field and i was like oh, oh my goodness this is so bad and like you said with the clone wars they did a much better job especially with anakin but i also think they did a much better job with his relationship with padme because you could tell how strained it was yes in the clone wars and how difficult it was for both of them but more so for Anakin and it's like you really see him turning there and then I was looking at Hayden Christensen and I was like no you don't you don't you're not Darth Vader (laughs) yeah totally so yeah that's long story short it's like that's that's why I like seeing him in in the new film like because it was like oh this is this is what Darth Vader is supposed to be like and um you know so it, as a selfish you know pleasure for me I, it's like I'm glad it was there but I I get the people that are like all right enough fan service we don't need to see that kind of stuff anymore and it, right. it wasn't it wasn't necessary to the story and neither was uh Grand Moff Tarkin well he wasn't even Grand Moff at that point but but you know Tarkin Tarkin didn't need to be um you know involved either you know, but th- those are minor gripes. I mean, this movie is fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it's like they just sort of need to let go of the actors and actresses from the first trilogy, not necessarily the characters. And I understand whoa, whoa, why whoa. they put Leia in. Not not Luke. Go on. We need we need some Mark Hamill in episode eight. <laughs> I just mean for like when they're going back in time, like for okay. Rogue One, they they didn't need to put a dead guy in the movie and they didn't really need to use James Earl Jones for the voice of Vader. Did his family get paid for that? I'm sure they had to ask permission for whoever technically like owns the likeness of his character and everything. So they definitely had to ask permission. So I'm sure they got something like whoever is in control of his estate or whatever i believe is how it works but you know i'm no lawyer i'm just guessing (laughs) what a weird precedent you know it's like yeah (laughs) so does this mean in like 20 years they could make a movie with like humphrey bogart in it and we won't be able to tell that it's not really him 
Like, right. it's, it's weird. <laughs> right. And, and, and like, what if he didn't want to do that movie? <laughs> like, what if he didn't like yeah, the script? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I saw some people that were upset about um, Peter Cushing being in this film because they were like, right. well, he, he didn't agree to that. <laughs> what, if, <laughs> what if he was like, yo, the prequels sucked. I'm not doing any more Star Wars stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, just sort of, you know, let go of these ones that aren't super necessarily necessary obviously having carrie fisher harrison ford and mark hamill in episode seven made sense because it was like handing it off but for a movie like rogue one that isn't one of these episodic films i think you know i understand why they put leia in at the end because i feel like if you didn't some people might have gotten a little lost on the whole purpose of this so it's like all right here we go they gave it to Leia and this is where episode four starts (laughs) so I think obviously there's a lot that Lucasfilm has to think about when they go into these movies and I think they did Rogue One probably as well as they could for what they wanted to do with it yeah And and it sounds like I mean it's it seems very strange to me the extent of the reshoots uh for the film the entire third act was completely different when they originally shot it. So they tried to downplay the reshoots um, and, you know, said, right. oh, well, that's just typical in a Hollywood film. Well, no, rewriting and reshooting the complete third act of a film is a massive undertaking. And um, <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's no joke. And the fact that the movie works so well and is still, you know, just awesome despite that is pretty crazy. I I'd be really curious to see the original cut or at least find out what the original plot was because it seems like there was a completely different, um, you know, heist at the end of the film. Like they're they're running across the beach with the hard drive, you know, like there's there's a lot of like stuff going on that just didn't even happen in the the, the final act. And um, I, I'm really curious to find out what, you know, what that was and then what they had to set up earlier in the film so that it would make sense. Right. Like I, I noticed some things you know along those lines with the editing um that i thought was very strange like at the beginning of the film you know they they're cutting from you know place to place and when they go when they start out one planet they actually in text on the screen show the name of the planet which they've never done before in a star wars film right and then they go to another planet and they show the you know text below the planet again and i'm like wow this is this is really weird and and then but then when they went to mustafar they didn't show the name of the planet yeah when they go i think they did it on purpose though why i i don't know if it's just like sort of the lore of darth vader and where he's located and I mean, obviously, a lot of Star Wars fans are like, okay, we know where that is. There's yeah. like hot lava pouring out. <laughs> we, we, I mean, we've seen it before also, I mean, on, on screen. But but they also didn't show the name of the planet of Scarif, you know, for the final... Uh, I think they did, but I think it was like maybe earlier than you were expecting. Really? I don't know if it's like when they landed or it's like they just saw it from a distance and it went up there. So you probably... I'm pretty sure they did. Mm. I could be wrong on that, but... I think, you know, that's something that a lot of TV shows tend to do. It's like, they'll like put it up and it's like, they're in this place and then, you know, they're in this next place. So it definitely was an interesting choice. Yeah. They'll, and they would do it. They'll do it on Star Trek occasionally and stuff like that. It's to to me, it's just that like the, the iconography, uh, you know, with Star Wars planets is always so unique and you can always tell them apart so well. And that that was definitely the case with this film. I mean, like Jeddah looked so unique and so different than anything we've seen before. And, right. and but, but it also looked very, very different from Scarif, which looked very, very different from Mustafar. So the places are very, uh, you know, just visually so different and so striking that you know we we didn't we don't need those titles to you know differentiate them but yeah but you know i think that what was going on was there were another thing which we don't see too much of in star wars films was there's there was flashback stuff so they yeah. show Jin's childhood, and then later in the film, there's a couple shots that go back to it. And with that kind of editing, it just brings in a whole, you know, it's like when they had to, you know, show what planet um, uh, 
Jin was on, you know, it's like, well, oh, hold on, wait, are we are we in Jin's flashback? Are we where she's at when she's in jail? Is this a different right. planet? You know, so I see why it was kind of necessary for it to happen due to the editing, um, you know, to kind of ge- make the geography very clear to the audience. But it was, uh, it was like that was strange to me. The yeah. the, the text of, of the planets and stuff, but also you know the no opening crawl was very strange to me. Yeah, and I know they announced well ahead of time that any film that isn't one of the episodes will not have an opening crawl. Yeah. So, you know, the young Han Solo movie won't have one and any films going forward that aren't, you know, eight or nine won't have one. And I I see where they're going with that because they're trying to keep that as part of the tradition for the trilogies and everything. Sure. And I don't know if necessarily these in-between stories need it like when we get that Han Solo movie we know it's going to be about a young Han Solo and we sort of already know the story of Han Solo that I don't know if we need a crawl really explaining Han Solo to us you know and I think Rogue One felt a little more like one of the episodic films just because of how well it led into A New Hope for sure but I, I do like that they're giving us these bits and pieces to fill in the blanks here and there, much like they did with the Clone Wars series and what they're doing now with Rebels. Yeah. Yeah, it's I it was just such a weird feeling, though, to see the, um, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then it just the, the movie begins without right, the, right. Da, yeah. da, 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 you know, like, it was but it was it was still cool. I mean, it was very powerful, but it was like. It was like it was just one more thing. This isn't a complaint, but it was just one more like aspect to the movie that just made you go, "Damn, this is not Star Wars that we've seen before." So it was cool. I felt yeah. like it, it lent itself to the, you know, hey, I'm, we're going to see something new. We're going to see like a new, you know, a new dimension to this um, this whole you know universe and this mythology. It's, it, uh, I loved it. <laughs> I, yeah. say, I keep saying and that. I loved it. <laughs> going back to the beginning, too, another thing I noticed with the title card, it just said Rogue One. It didn't even say a Star Wars story underneath. Yeah. Like, they've been promoting it the entire time. So I thought that was an odd choice because it's like, okay, you're giving us Rogue One and then in a galaxy far away. And it's like, <laughs> okay, so you're giving us bits and pieces here, but why promote it as Rogue One, a Star Wars story, and then just leave a Star Wars story out of the title card sort of thing, which, like you said, that's that's minor stuff. Like, who cares about that? <laughs> really? It's a title card. It's not the end of the world, and it doesn't have really anything to do with the action in the movie. Yeah, I, th- I think the uh, Star Wars story is really just about the marketing, you know, because it, it, yeah. cr- it creates that brand appeal to people. Um, but I don't know. I, I just I thought that I thought that it was really interesting that like Saw Gerrera's character um, is just a complete tip of the cap to the Clone Wars right like his that's where the character comes from anyone that's familiar with with the Clone Wars knows that now he's going to be appearing in Rebels correct right and and that he was such a you know it was just such an interesting thing because he didn't necessarily need to be in the film it didn't need to be somebody from Clone Wars like it didn't but like them you know choosing to do that like it it kind of like shores up continuity it it is a tip of the cap to fans of clone wars it it also kind of like legitimizes clone wars to me because like right there, there's a lot that happens in clone wars that is just so out there and so different from the films that you're like you know you almost think about it as its own continuity and now that we're starting to see that kind of stuff in the flesh on the big screen it like it it almost like ups the stakes of those episodes and stuff. Like I, I really want to go back and watch the Saw Gerrera episodes and and kind of right. think about that because you know you're you're seeing this guy who's like young and arrogant and just excited to be a rebel and all of this. And then you know fast forward to Rogue One and you see this guy who has been destroyed by a lifetime of fighting against you know the separatists and then you know the Empire once it became the Empire and. And the damage that he's sustained, you know, to his body and also mentally, you know, he's paranoid and he's he's basically living like a, you know, he's a terrorist kind of. He's living in a cave and he's, right. you know, plotting terrorist attacks. He's an extremist. He's not accepted by the uh, Rebel Alliance. Um, and it's it's just fascinating. Like the 
the evolution from this kitty cartoon and you know his uh, idealism at that point to being such a morally gray character i guess to bring that back full circle where we were talking about cassian being so morally compromised and so in that gray yeah. area we're so used to our star wars being you're either good or you're bad and right and this is introducing that whole new dynamic yeah and i think with the rebels a lot of times you will get that gray area and i mean han solo was kind of always that gray area in the first trilogy there because it's like you know he was a smuggler and it's like he wanted to help people but he also wanted to be in it for himself so to me he was like the original gray line there and i think what's so interesting is obviously not everyone who goes to see rogue one has necessarily watched the clone wars so you're taking this character who's only in the series for what three or four episodes if that and it's like the amount of effort that lucasfilm has to put in to make all of these pieces come together and you know have ahsoka appear in rebels have sagarera appear in rogue one it's like they're really doing the best thing that they can for fan service it's Uh. like they're rewarding these people who have stuck with star wars all of these years and have been sort of consuming it in every format possible because i know obviously they got rid of they didn't get rid of the expanded universe but it's now called legends yeah and they have this whole new canon timeline and a lot of these books even that have been coming out the last few years since they announced that it's like lucasfilm has told the authors what it is they're writing about yeah and it's up to the authors to sort of bend and twist that story while still keeping that same concept that Lucasfilm wants and to have it start and end where they want it to. Sure. It's a, it, it is like a really cool th- I, I just, I hate it. I hate to say this cause I feel bad, but like, it's, it's so nice that, you know, George Lucas is not helming the ship anymore because he was right. so protective of it and it, it was his and his alone. And the, you know the brain trust that they have now is that they you know they want to bring in artists with unique visions and you know unique ways of going about their visions and let them play in the Star Wars sandbox there's right. there's a whole universe to explore and so many stories to be told and they don't all have to be framed from one person's point of view or told in the same way you know Rogue One was a completely different movie from the force awakens but they're both star wars you know they, yeah. they 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 both fit in the same universe they both are canon they both uh you know the continuity you know lines up for for everything there's things that happen in uh the force awakens that are i mean in rogue one that obviously play out what 30 40 years down the line in yeah in uh the force awakens and but but it's just completely different visions and different you know uh, interpretations of the Star Wars universe, and and I, I love that. I, I'm excited to see you know more more like like how cool would it be to see Tarantino do a, a film in the Star Wars canon? Like, yeah, like yeah, and he could now. You know, I think that Rogue One like kind of like uh, pushed the envelope to the to the point where it's like, hey, it's on. We can we you know this universe can survive fostering different people's interpretation of it. You know, as long as we adhere to canon and adhere to you know the ground rules that we've you know set out yeah and even with the books you know like i said we get a full book of ahsoka there's also one just called tarkin and one called thrawn so it's like they're really putting emphasis on sort of developing these characters that weren't necessarily the main characters in any of these series obviously ahsoka played a huge part in the clone wars but it was still more about Anakin and sort of his road to becoming Darth Vader even though we never got to see that in the series but I think Rogue One like you said it pushed the envelope and it opens a lot of doors for what they can do with these standalone movies not that I feel like Rogue One was ever a standalone movie obviously it plays in very well but Lucasfilm and Disney they've just thought out so far ahead that we don't even know like where this canon timeline can go now because you have all of these factors and obviously with episodes eight and nine who knows who else they'll introduce into sort of that new group of star wars characters and 
even in the comics, they're introducing new characters that we have not seen in anything yeah. before. Dr. Afra. Because, yeah, that's that's who I was talking about, exactly. And we see her working together with Darth Vader in the Darth Vader comic series, and it's like, that's sort of something that is entertaining and has nothing to do with the movies. So it's like, if you're someone who is consuming all these types of media, you're really getting rewarded. But do you think that sort of affects the people who only are in star into Star Wars for the movies? Um, well, how do you how do you mean like affects them? Because they're not really getting as in-depth of a story that oh. the rest of us are. Because, you know, you have these books supplementing everything and the comics adding new characters. And yeah. I know a lot of people, they're just not big readers. And as someone who's a big reader, I will never understand that. But it, it's a <laughs> thing and it happens. So, you know, some people don't want to read the 20 Star Wars books that are out now in canon. <laughs> well, but that's the thing is like where a movie has to be able to stand on its own two feet like without the supplemental material like it just has right. to, it just has to be good and so you have to be able to go into it and enjoy it without having access to any of that like that being said like you know my experience was enriched just with the the knowledge that i had you know from clone wars from reading the comic books from you know yeah uh, i've only i'm only like halfway through catalyst but like just what i've read in catalyst and stuff like like uh, that kind of rewarded my viewing experience where like i i think i cared a little bit about the airso family you know more more so than my friends did who watched the movie they enjoyed right. it they thought she was great thought she was badass and awesome and stuff but like i i feel like i had like a little bit deeper empathy for her and her father's sacrifice um because of you know what i what i'd experienced and that's what's kind of incumbent upon the filmmakers is to they need to get that across for people that haven't read the books and and honestly right. that's the biggest complaint that i've heard you know from from people in reviews and just people online where they're just like you know i just didn't i didn't really feel a profound sense of loss at the end when everyone yeah. died and i wanted to i wanted to feel like at the end of saving private ryan when people are dying and you're just like oh my god that's that character i've spent two hours with i cared about them and right and there you know there was a sense of detachment almost because there was just not enough time with the characters and um so yeah i mean that's that is the one to me you know one of the minor flaws of the film and but maybe i'm able to overlook it more because i'm experienced or exposed to the you know supplemental materials i don't know right yeah, and I feel the same way because, like I said, I've been consuming sort of everything. And it's funny because I wasn't a Star Wars fan by any means when the prequels came out. I sort of got into it a lot later. Like, I went through and I watched all six movies at one point. <laughs> but it wasn't until, you know, they really announced Force Awakens and I went and rewatched the original trilogy that I started to sort of understand the appeal of this universe and as someone who was a big harry potter fan because that's sort of the thing i grew up with while jk rowling was you know releasing all the books it's like all right you know i was seven eight nine whatever and so that was always the series that i grew up with and i'm almost jealous of the kids who got to experience the first trilogy when they were kids yeah and i think now that they're starting with episode seven and everything last year, it's like they're doing that all over again. And I don't even care that I'm 24 and really enjoying this. You know, I feel like they've really done a good job of making it so that it's something everyone can enjoy. It's not, you know, geared more towards kids. Like I think Harry Potter kind of was just because, you sure. know, magic and wizardry and all of that stuff. But there are plenty of adults who loved Harry Potter. So obviously J.K. Rowling did because she wrote it. <laughs> but do you think sort of what they're starting with Rogue One is a really good start for their standalone movies? Like you, like we said, you know, the movies still have to be able to stand on their own despite having all of these other types of media to consume with the canon story. So do you think, you know, Rogue One was a very solid start for them? Yeah, I I can't help but think that the Han Solo movie is going to be completely different in tone. Right. Um it's it's just and it's it's also yeah, I think that what the precedent Rogue One sets is that it 
uh, it tears down the expectations of what a Star Wars film has to be. Um, exactly. You know, because, yeah, The Force Awakens, although it was absolutely wonderful, a really great experience, uh, it was very much in the mold of the original trilogy. Uh, and it, it, it did the heavy lifting of kind of getting us back to where we need to be for us to refresh our palate and forget about the prequels and get back to Star Wars. So that's awesome. And it, it had to bear that burden, unfortunately. And now Rogue One has deconstructed that idea and is saying, hey, a Star Wars movie can be anything we want it to be. You know, there, there are some ground rules that we're going to adhere to, but, um, you know, there there are there's room for more than just one voice in this this universe. You know, there's different storytellers that can tell different stories. And so I don't think that it's necessarily setting a tone for what the rest of the uh, Star Wars story films are going to be. But I think that what it does set the tone for is that uh, we don't have to follow the rules anymore. We can make the films be whatever they want. So I, I think that right. Han Solo is going to have, you know, quite, quite a long leash as far as expanding on maybe how much comedy and how much romance and how much swashbuckling can be in these films. Like, I think, I think it's going to be really cool. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Well, I think that about covers it for my thoughts. Clearly, we both really enjoyed this. I've only seen it once. You have an extra viewing up on me. So I think, you know, this is sort of just our general first thoughts on it. And I know a lot of people are way more critical about it. But to me, it's like, okay, I really enjoy Star Wars. And as long as I go to the movie and I have a good time, things like a CG Tarkin aren't going to completely overwhelm me and really determine the outcome of how I feel after the movie is over. Sure, it was weird. It's like, all right, I'm over it. It was a good movie. You know, it's the first one they've done that hasn't been one of the episodes. So it's like, they're still trying something new here. So yes, they've made seven movies before, but they haven't done one quite like this. And I think, like you said, that'll give them much more to work with down the line with these standalone movies that they have planned. And I'm really looking forward to literally whatever they release. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I, I hope that, you know, Marvel can kind of take a, a nod from rogue one because, you know, Marvel keeps making the same film over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, like Dr. Strange at its core, wasn't really that different from Iron Man. Uh, you know, which came out eight years earlier. And um, right. it's it's still the same kind of story about the same kind of hero, you know, doing the same thing. And, um, you know, there's there's so many more stories that can be told from that, you know, universe. And and that's that's what I thought was so bold and ambitious about Rogue One was just defying the, you know, genre stereotypes and the conventions that, you know, you think that they have to follow. And in so many different ways, you know, like like I said, with the diverse casting, uh, you know, the fact that there wasn't a romance, you know, involved in the story. I mean, it's like that stuff. It's just so it's so refreshing. It, it, It really was like so people can fault it for you know the the issues that they have but i i think all in all like you know i can't help but walk out of that theater just beaming and just going like like one i was completely entertained like what a great experience um but two like those bold motherfuckers like how how (laughs) how awesome that that they just went out there and were like you know what like fuck these alt-right people that are saying they're going to boycott Star Wars because <laughs> we have, you know, female protagonists and a diverse cast and possibly gay characters. And, and, right. and, and they're, we're, we're going to tell our story and we, we don't need to be beholden to other people's expectations. And, and it, it's just like, I, I love bold storytellers and bold filmmaking and bold artists and people that are paving their own path. And which is, you just, you think Star Wars, Disney, like this is the man, like this is the, you know, the system. And like, you, you just think that there wouldn't be room for the, those kind of creative voices in something like that. And, but it, th- there is, and it's, they're really, you know, setting the bar for, you know, I don't know, just, I, I, I guess like, you know, using the, the storytelling and filmmaking medium to, to, you know, say, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to lead the way. If, if our country's going to go backwards and become a less diverse place and a xenophobic place and a place where we want to build walls and, and all this kind of nonsense, you know, well, that's not us. And that's not 
the you know our better selves and you know we right we can we can you know show you know these heroes and and you know our values you know in a completely fantastical kind of way um but but we're gonna tell our stories our way and we're gonna you know show kind of hope i guess and that's funny because that's what the theme of the movie is so. <laughs> yeah exactly and i feel like they even did a great job one of the characters we didn't mention was the pilot who defected to sort of give the message that hey you guys need to go get this thing so you can destroy the thing yeah <laughs> and even he brought some entertainment because you know he was looking for saw Gerrera and it's like he was this little squirmy guy and it's like how is this guy in the empire <laughs> like how is he surviving in the empire that was sort of my thought when i saw him and it's like it makes you realize much in the way they did with the force awakens and finn yeah they're still people and you know they still know right from wrong it's just you know obviously he was terrified to leave and go get this message to saw Gerrera. and i think they do a nice job with just emphasizing the little things like that and while we don't get maybe as attached to these characters as people wanted to they still find a way to have us be entertained by them. And I think that's really sort of what counts. While this might not be anyone's favorite Star Wars movie, it's going to be up there on the list. It's by no means worse than the prequels. I don't know what is. So <laughs> No, I think I think this this film will age very well and, you know, yeah. will we'll always be thought of as a groundbreaking, you know, Star Wars and genre film in general. So Yeah. Two, awesome. thumb, two thumbs up. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming back to talk more Star Wars. I'm sure we will have plenty of other topics to bring you back on for. But that's all we have for now. And this, like I said, is our final episode of 2016 going out with Bang here. So <laughs> to our listeners, as always, thank you for listening. And thank you guys so much for making this podcast way more popular than i thought it would be not that it is super popular but you know it's doing a lot better than i thought it would with just being me and getting as many random people on here as i can <laughs> hey the randomness is good it's awesome yeah exactly <laughs> thanks for having me on no problem <laughs> bye